Thank you, Teddy. Uh, Psalm, 31, Psalm 139 is always a, a good reminder of the, the reality of who we are in Jesus. We're, we're thankful for that again. Or um, I want to. This is going to be the last in our series on wisdom. Um, uh, and next week we're going to be moving on to. Uh, I'm going to be going through a book of the Bible. I'm going to be going through something in the Old Testament. Um, uh, trying to figure out which one. I might do Deuteronomy, but that might be more fun for me than for anyone else. So we will we will see. Um, but uh, we're going to be spending some time in there. But I want us to to finish up this series on wisdom with a reminder of the foundation of where all wisdom comes from. Um, the if you'll remember way back 26 weeks ago, I think, maybe uh, 30-something, um, based on how long we've been doing this, uh, the first series in this, uh, the first uh, the first idea that I wanted to go forward in a series on wisdom was, was uh, the title of that sermon, which I was proud of, was Love All the Way Down. The, the primary idea of that was that, is that the foundation of the entire earth and everything that we've been given and everything that we do is love. That God, out of love, created the world. That is the story that we tell. We know many myths about the creation of the world talk about two gods fighting and then the residue of that conflict was the earth or, or, or some sort of battle or some sort of... That, that's not what we believe. We believe that out of love, God said, I want to share who I am, and the way that I'm going to do that is creating. So we believe the origins of everything are in love. And we believe that even though we turned from God and, and rejected his rule over us, that it was in love that he restored us. And, and Jesus took on flesh and lived among us and, and went to the cross in our place and, and, and died and rose again. And that restoration that is happening to the world around us is, is in love. That, that, that was love that motivated God to do that. And we believe that this whole human story, in the midst of everything that we've done, and every, that, that this story arcs towards its completion in love again, where, where, where heaven crashes into earth and God descends and lives amongst his people and he is our God and we are his people and there's a union of Christ and his church and we believe that this story is also completed in love. So everything that we do and are is love all the way down. That's the foundations for the world in which we live. So that's why when we talk about right and just and fair, it's only proper that we also discuss love as the foundational action for what we do. And, and living in a complex world, as we've talked about how to navigate with people who disagree with us, with people who have different ideas, with, with, with world, in a world where there seems to be much more gray than there is black and white, we've discussed the difficulty of doing that. And, and, and there's ways that, that saying that the foundation of all, all of our actions ought to be love is beautiful and it's heartwarming, but it's also kind of basic and in some ways unhelpful. Because I can understand, I'm having a voice of criticism in my own head right now that says, sure, great, love, that's awesome, well done. We all agree with that, no one's going to argue with that, but at the same time, love, love is vague and elusive, and it's, and it's sometimes confusing. It's, and it, congratulations, you made a statement that we can all agree with, but ultimately it, it, it says nothing. You know? But I do think that there's something important and very different about what followers of Jesus say about love that makes us different from the from love as the, the way the rest of the excuse me, the way the rest of the world discusses it. 
And, it, and it's this combination of ideas that we see in Proverbs chapter 16. It says, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. And through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. And we believe both of these things at the same time. We have dual foundations. Because we start with this fear of the Lord where people are like, yeah, I'm comfortable with that idea. But I think that that's very important, that, that one of the foundations for the way that we operate in the world is that we are not in charge of it. And that we did not create this, and the breath that we have in our lungs is a gift to us. And we're around other people who are also gifts as well. So we live and operate in this world in humility. And wisdom begins in humility, understanding that we are not in charge of the world, nor are we seeing all perspectives of what is happening in the world. And I think that this humility is what is missing in most of our dialogue with each other. Not just within the church, but in all of society. That, that as we talk to each other, we're, we're missing the humility that says, okay, I don't have all of the answers, nor do you have all of the answers, so we're going to figure out a way to get along. And, and, and I get frustrated about some things in our society where we feel like we can't say, where some people believe that act as if and speak as if they can say everything that there is to say about any given subject. And, and then other people bash them because, of course, that's impossible. You can't say everything that there is to say on any given subject. You got love, or, or God, or anything that humans do, you can't say everything. But I want to push back at that idea, that, that push back at that a little bit, and say that the, the fact that we cannot say everything about something, about anything, shouldn't intimidate us into saying nothing, but should rather make the something that we do say humble. That, that, that we approach the world with humility and we say to people that we disagree with, okay, I, I understand, I may disagree with you, but I recognize that, that neither of us hold all of the answers. And, and this humility is what we call the fear of the Lord. But it's also, in the, in combined with that fear of the Lord, is that we, we trust in the love and faithfulness of the God that created us. So, and that's what atones or, or brings together, or at ones, which is the literal way that this word is translated in Hebrew, makes one, uh, that the, 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 it's that trust and the love and faithfulness of God that brings us back together. It's that trust and faithfulness that allows us to move into to repenting of what we've done wrong, into, into forgiving when other people have wronged us, and, and we move and, and we repeat that process over again, because in the world in which we live, we are fallible and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to wrong other people and other people are going to wrong us, and we, we repent and we try and we forgive and we move and we repeat, and we just do that as a cycle. And if we doubt the priority of this, if we doubt how this works and the, and the necessity of love in the depths of our actions. I don't think anyone doubts that, but I just want to undergird this by, by saying that, that this certainty and, and of love as the foundational aspect to our wisdom comes out here in, in one of the most famous passages in Scripture, in the end of uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says, Yet I will show you the most excellent way. He's talking specifically to the church of Corinth. He's saying, this is the way that you ought to relate to one another. This is how you're going to exercise your gifts in the way that you work. And he describes, starts it off by, so there's this way of like, they were competing with each other, they were arguing with each other, they were trying to have supremacy of their gifts. My gifts are more important than yours. And in the midst of that, he says, this is the most excellent way. 
If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith and can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. It's fascinating. Paul's talking about the working of church, but he's, he's, he's saying all of those things that you think are so important don't matter nearly as much as you think that they do. If we have this deep spiritual connection with the Lord that is made manifest in the fact that we're speaking in supernatural tongues, and, and, and we have miracles and charisma, and, we're, 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 and, and we appear as if we're working in the Spirit, but we don't have love for one another, we are a car alarm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. When was the last time you heard a car alarm and thought, oh, somebody's car is being broken into? Nobody thinks that anymore. We just think, oh, there's a loud, annoying noise that I wish would stop that I don't have to pay attention to. We can be deeply enriched in believing that we're doing the work of the Lord, but if we don't have love within us, then we don't sound like it. People can't recognize it. People can't recognize warnings. They can't recognize encouragement. All they're hearing is just this loud, annoying noise that they wish would stop. And then, and not only that, it's not only our spiritual connection that becomes the game without love, but it's also our knowledge. If I can be as smart as you want to be, I can be a brilliant Jesus. Jesus, sorry. I can be a brilliant genius, and I can be able to win every argument and every debate. You can put me up against the Bill Mars and the, and the Richard Dawkins of the world, and I, can, and I can crush them with my with my greater logic. But if I don't have love, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, 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 my, all my knowledge is negated as nothing. And even if I operate in spheres of social justice where, where I give everything that I have away and I, and I move where I start to manipulate systems and, 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 and make economic justice happen and all of these things, but if I'm operating without a basic, decent love for the people around me, recognizing the humanity in them, then none of it matters. It's irrelevant. It's not the most excellent way. So more important than the things that we do, according to the Bible, is the way and the reasons that we do them. Okay? That's incredibly fascinating. God doesn't want us to operate. It's good that we do things, don't get me wrong. But he's saying operate in the most excellent way. And nothing will matter if we don't have basic love for humanity. Now we get that that love this doesn't help us though with the vagueness because we're still left with this position where it's like okay love is that that that, 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 that that's great oh sorry that's that's wonderful and but we still have the vague the vagueness where, where what is this love that you're talking about is this a feeling that I have within me is this where does this start and where does it go? And if we want to have a foundation for what love actually is, then we look at the next passage here because it continues. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. We now start to move away from vague ideas into concrete actions. And if we want to understand the filter through which we push our, our ideas and, and when we, the way that we see the world and run it through the filter of love, then this is what it has to do. Now this is contrary to it to because we have so this, this this enables us to properly evaluate our own actions and the actions of others. Because we have people that operate within the Christian sphere that say, okay, that the most important thing that we need to do is to remind people of sin and the anger that God has about sin, and we need to ensure that they know that. And if we're not making that plain, then that is not loving people because we're allowing them to walk in towards a cliff and they're going to tip over and they're going to die and be destroyed for eternity in hell and they will not have heard the truth. And there's an element of that that is true. There's the other side that says, well, sin is just a construct that we've created to ensure and prop up our own, uh, our, our own ideas and our own comfort in the world. And when we say sin, what we mean is actions that we disagree with and that we continually push people further and further and further away from the love of Jesus because we're not actually communicating with the work to them in a way that they can understand. And there's an element of truth in that as well. But somehow, what needs to undergird both of these things is that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. So... When we're confronted with someone, like the, you know, the most obvious example is the Westboro Baptist Church, and they're protesting at a funeral, we obviously have, if you're any kind of decent human being, something inside us that goes like, that's wrong, that's not Christianity, that's not the faith that I, that, 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 that I believe in and live. Well, we now have a tangible way to evaluate that, because yes, we agree with you that you're, you're like that. There, there's an element of truth in what they're doing, and that we want to remind people that God is angry at sin. Okay, that's good. But but is protesting at someone's funeral kind? Is protesting at someone's funeral maybe a little bit self-seeking? Is protesting at someone's funeral dishonoring others? Haven't we tipped over into that? And, and, and if we're actually doing that, like, haven't we lost love? And if we've lost love, haven't we become a resounding God and a claiming symbol that nobody can pay attention to anymore? So we can evaluate this and just say, yeah, we, sure, you're right, who cares? That's awesome, congratulations, you're right. It's not kind. And if, and if you're right, but you have not loved, it doesn't matter anymore. We tip it to the other side, and the people who were my more inclination is just like, I want to be open to everybody, just let everybody be who they are, and feel how they feel, and do all of those things, and, and, and say, just like, oh, and, and there's an element of, of truth in that that's good and lovely and powerful, but at the same time, and, and is, that, is that the way that we protect people? By just allowing them to wander in their own sin? Is that rejoicing with the truth? By just saying, God just loves you exactly how you are and doesn't demand that you change and turn from your life of sin. I'm failing at love as well because I don't care enough about someone to actually have a conflict with them that might make them upset. I don't love them as much as I love them liking me. 
right? That's also a failure of love. So now we can start to filter through our standards. We can start to filter through our behaviors. We want to have balance in them. Because where we failed as a church, not just us, but the big C evangelical church, we failed at this. Where our reputation, and it's sometimes earned, is that we have been easily angered. That we've kept a long record of wrongs. And we've been self-seeking. And then, so, so we now have a filter through which to judge our own behavior and the behavior of others and say, okay, wait a minute, is this in keeping with the gospel that we've been called to? Is this in keeping with the command that we've been given to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbors and, our, and ourselves? And when we speak in word or in deed, does it hold in the standard? Now, this is a very high standard. I'm aware of that. And there's some people that are going to look at this and say, well, if that's the standard, then people are going to talk a lot less. Yeah, they are. Probably. Probably I should talk a lot less. And when I go through problems, constantly I'm reminded that, that, that it is wise to speak less. Wisdom holds its tongue. Wisdom uh, and an abundance of words is kind of foolishness. We're probably going to have less words. We're probably going to be more careful about our deeds. So we're going to hold ourselves to a high standard. But rather than being paralyzed, because I think there's an element of this where it's like, well, nothing that I'm ever going to do is going to hold up to this standard, therefore I'm going to be paralyzed and do nothing. I love where Paul takes us next, because he says this, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflections in the mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is fascinating, because Paul is talking in here about an admitting to living in in-betweenness. And that Christian love, the outworking of that, now becomes inseparable from an awareness of our own limitations. That as we work, we understand that we could be wrong. As we speak, we understand that we don't know everything. That our knowledge is partial. That our actions are partial. That we have an awareness of our own limitations. And we understand that, that yes, we can unknowingly in the past, have been unkind. We may have been impatient. And this is so fascinating for me because Paul is building into his description of love an awareness that admitting our own mistakes and weaknesses, our own mistakes and our own failures, does not weaken us, but rather makes us more, more malleable and movable by the God who called us. We are not weakened by any mistakes and repenting, but we are strengthened by it. Because what that what that tells about us when we say like, okay, I don't know everything, I, you know, is is that what that is, what that says about us is that works out of a trust in the Lord that He is sovereign and that He, while we know partially, He knows completely and fully. So this idea and awareness of our own limitations allows us to live side by side with people whom we disagree with. Okay? 
So I don't have to be angry at the Muslim parents who are on my son's soccer team. I don't have to hate them. I don't have to, to constantly browbeat them with the Bible because I understand that God is sovereign over all the earth and I only know partially and I know that God is working in their lives in ways that I don't understand and it's not up to me to bring them salvation. So I can just love my neighbor as myself and their acknowledgement or acceptance of the Jesus and the gospel that I believe in is not dependent on me. I don't know the plan of God from beginning to end, but I know this, God is not mocked. God does not lose and will not lose. And his kingdom is coming and his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So I can walk side by side with people who have vastly different ideas than me, that have ideas that are important to me and things that I absolutely disagree with, but I can do that because God's in control. I know in part, then I will know fully. I know a little bit, so I can walk with people that I disagree with. And I need to remind myself of this, because I have a tendency as someone who talks a lot to make bold statements and then back down and be like, well, I'm kind of being a little bit self-righteous in that. And there's a way that that's sort of a, a not a wise thing to do. But there's an element where we do need to continually remind ourselves, of like, okay, wait a minute. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is sovereign. And I don't have all of the answers. I, I approach the world with humility because of it. And, and in the midst of this, inseparable from the love, uh, inseparable from love is trust that God is in control and working in the act and acting in the world. This is important and foundational for us. That, that, that we, all of this action towards others, all of this action towards ourselves is grounded on the idea of what we just read in Psalm 139, that God is in control and active in the world, that we are fully known. From the beginning, when we were knit together in the secret place, God works it, God was working in us. And in the midst of our being absolutely fully known, every piece and part of you, every part of you being known by God, you are still deeply loved in that. God's love for you is, is, is complete in as much as his knowledge for of you is complete. So that allows us to love in the midst of that knowing. That there's not a part of us that is hidden from the Lord, and that, that, that oh, well, if God knew this thing about me, then he wouldn't love me as much anymore. There's nothing like that there. God knows everything about you and loves you anyway. And that enables us to love others because we have that foundation of being loved. So when we're angry and we're afraid, when we're pushed, when, when people seem to be making us, making our ideas, uh, making what we believe more and more marginalized, we don't have to fight and we don't have to run, but we can stand speaking the truth that we believe because we know that we are loved even if everyone in the world around us hates us. We are loved even if we don't know everything, even if we don't have all the answers, even if we're, we're struggling to put words together to explain the love that God has for humanity. We trust that God loves us anyway in the midst of our failings and in our mistakes. That God, before the foundation of the earth, God knew us as he is bringing restoration and uh, uh, restoration to this world out of love because greater love has no man than this and he laid down his life for a friend, his friends. And that this world is headed towards love as well as he begins to repair and put all things back together. And Paul finishes this idea with this. Now these three remain faith and hope and love and the greatest of these is love. And this is where wisdom 
finds its completion as well. Because if we want to operate well in a way that is right and just and fair in a complex world, we do that out of love, and that needs to be built on a foundation of love and head towards a completion in love as well. Just as God, I said in the beginning, God began our story in love, and it's out of love that he creates. It's out of love that he restores. It's out of love that we will find completion. It's this that we need to carry into the world as well. That, that out of love, out of the love that God has for us, we build our idea of who we are. And because we are so deeply loved and we recognize that God loves everybody else, and we begin to relate to them differently as well because we understand that every human that we meet has the image of God implanted in them and he loves them deeper and more and more fully than we could ever imagine. And we also understand that the end of this story, that God's will for this whole world is to have love and justice and peace come, and that is what he is working towards. So that, that becomes the outworking of all of our actions. This is where we're headed and where we're going. So this is ultimately love is what is right and just and fair. Now, again, this doesn't end the complication doesn't make the world less complex. We do have a filter with which to operate through, that when we see ourselves disagreeing with the world, when we see ourselves dismayed by, by, the, by, the, the, by the news around us, when we, when we find ourselves talking to people who are, who are confronting us with, with ideas that we, that we don't understand and we don't know how to operate, we're not left without tools. Because if it, this happens to me all the time. I sit beside, across the street from so I sit across the table from someone who doesn't know Jesus, and they say something about their lives that's deliberately, deliberately intended to shock. You know, like they're, what they're trying, what they're trying to do at that point in time is they say something about something that's out of bounds sexually, or something that's is some some horrible incident from their past, and they're intending to shock me because they want what they want to do is to see if I'm going to back down. But in the midst of that. It's real simple. How do I act in a way that is patient and kind? How do I act in a way that is not boasting, that is not proud, that does not dishonor others, that is not self-seeking, not easily angered, not keeping record of all wrongs, not delighting in evil, but rejoicing in the truth, uh, always protecting, always trusting, always hoping, always persevering? How, how do I operate in that? You know, and, the, and, and that filter is going to make our choices, which feel very complex, much more simple. Because we're going to find ourselves saying, okay, when in doubt, what's kind? When in doubt, what's patient? When in doubt, what hopes and perseveres? And that, because that is what God has done for us as well. Very good. God. We thank you that you're good. We thank you that you have created this world out of love, that you are restoring this world out of love, and that this story ends in love. So we ask that as we operate with our brothers and sisters, with the world around us, with our neighbors, with, with those people who you have placed around us for your good, for your glory, that we would operate out of love there as well. That when we feel ourselves pushed, when we feel ourselves backed into a corner, that when we feel ourselves desperate and confused, that, that, that we would not either become paralyzed and stuck, that we wouldn't retreat and run, or we wouldn't feel that we have to lash out to somehow protect ourselves or protect the idea of you that exists in our mind, but rather that we would operate out of love. 
We would find room and that your Holy Spirit would work in us and make us, our actions, patient and kind and ultimately loving and caring for the people around us. We, not merely because we believe that that's the best way to do things, but that communicates who you are to a world that desperately needs to know. So help us to do that this morning. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus.